this episode, Benedict is excited about touchpads, Buzz is excited about watch straps, and Buzz is leaving Benedict speechless. Good morning, Buzz. It's been a while since I could say good morning, Benedict. Right. Or at least on the podcast. Right, at least on the podcast. Uh, we had a couple of different episodes, um, but now we are back in the morning schedule where we meet Monday morning after the weekend. And we are full of news and have done stuff over the weekend. So, what have you done? I, I like before you before I say that. I like that you say we're back in the schedule. It's like the very first time we do this again, and you're like, yeah, that's the schedule. <laughs> I I like your positivity. Let's see if we can actually keep the schedule. Optimism. Optimism, yeah. What have I been up to this weekend? I've done a bunch of cooking. I've done a bunch of baking, which you will soon see. Or if you've already checked Twitter, you might already know. No, I haven't <clears> checked Twitter. I got up and went here. Well, but I tweeted it yesterday. I don't look at Twitter every day. <laughs> you do not? No. Crazy. Uh, did that. Did some nice cooking. Um, did a bunch of cleaning. And I did not go to bed early at all uh, from Saturday to Sunday. So yesterday evening, I went to bed super early and in a nice, clean, washed bed. I had a nice, nice like 10 hours of sleep. Um, so I feel refreshed, at least for now. <laughs> Let's see how long it lasts. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I had a nice weekend. I did. A little bit of sports, but not too much because um, initially, like, I, I don't work on Fridays, obviously. And so, obviously, Fridays is also a weekend for me. So, Fridays and Saturdays, I felt a bit off and I was afraid I would get a cold on something. So, I decided to not do any sports. Um, on Sunday, I felt much better. And so, in the evening, I, I watched another episode of um, Westworld, uh, where Ooh. I'm currently in the second season. I, it took me a long time to start it. Uh, but now that the third one is coming, I thought I'd have to speed up. So It's really good. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about this yesterday actually already, right? And the third season is like 14 days from now. And we're recording this on March the 2nd. So that's like mid-March. Uh, there will be the new uh, season of Westworld. And we might have already released this episode. Right. Uh, right. When, you, when you're right. listening to this. Right. Uh, and hopefully I will finish season two before season two come, uh, three comes out. And then I can basically just continue watching. That's yeah, it, I mean, the there's time. there's no rush, but it would be nice. No, there's, yeah. Um, I realized a couple of faces. I wasn't sure who that person was. Um, like very few, but some. And I don't want to have that when I watch yeah, the next season. Yeah, makes sense. So and um, other than that, I, um, I'm i working on my uh, secret project and I've worked on that over the weekend and I'm currently creating mock content so I'm using it to to create content and see if uh, everything works out um, and by that I find small bugs and then I try to fix these bugs um, and uh, run into various issues with various system libraries and so on. I also spent way too much time configuring a, um, a Linux tablet but that's for a story for another day but I had a lot of fun installing something called Wayland which is a, a different windowing server for Linux that's still better and compiling a very custom Windows Server and so on and doing stuff that really doesn't doesn't give me any ben any benefit, but it's fun to play around <laughs> with. So mock content, huh? That sounds like a hint. <laughs> well, content could be a lot of things, right? <laughs> Taking pictures is content. Ah. Uh, I actually uh, realized something else um, because I brought this, this watch with me, right? 
And you can see, and the listeners can't see, but the strap is... Yeah, it looks a bit old and used. Yeah, that's yeah. that's an understatement, right? So the strap is really, like, through its time, it's really, like, gone, basically. Um, As a note for the listener, it's not an Apple Watch. It's not an Apple Watch, no, definitely not. Um, but I ordered a new one this weekend, and, like, it's a super small thing, right? But it's, like, it feels good, it feels fun, and I'm, like, looking forward to, like, putting that on, on the watch again and, like, having a proper strap that isn't, like, broken. Uh, so... I thought that would be nice to mention because mm -hmm. it's like this this small thing, but it's like it somehow also, like it makes me disproportionately happy. Huh. It also takes time, right? The research and so on to decide what you want to buy. It takes time. 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 <laughs> no, in this case, not really actually because uh, this model, uh, so uh, we can put it in the show notes as well. It's a Mondana stop to go. Um, and... It behaves the same as the clocks that you see at the train station. Um, the good thing is, it only has one official strap, mm -hmm. uh, okay. so I didn't really. I basically had to figure out: okay, can I buy it at Mondana? And okay. if not, I will have to find something. But they had one, so okay. Because when you mentioned this, I realized I did something else this weekend. I totally forgot about which is I ordered a new keyboard, Ooh. a mechanical keyboard. Like every weekend? No, 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 no. Oh, so okay. usually I just research them. Um, no, I'm fairly happy with, I have the Microsoft Sculpt, which is an ergonomic keyboard. It has chiclet keys like the uh, MacBooks of old yore. Um, and I'm, I have the same one at work and at home. I have one spare uh, I keep next to my bed, which is basically for the times when uh, one of those breaks and Microsoft doesn't produce them anymore. I, I have a flashback to episode one of this uh, <laughs> podcast. It will be a, a brief segment. Um, but for the past couple of weeks, I've been researching um, mechanical keyboards because I felt I wanted to have a new one. And I wanted to have one that is mechanical, it, but it doesn't have very high keys, uh, and it's also ergonomic. And there are some, but all of them had the one or the other thing that I didn't like. And there are a couple of well-known uh, keyboards, like the Ultimate uh, Hacker Keyboard and stuff like that, but none of them I really, I felt, um, were what I needed. Were what I needed. And then I found one keyboard that basically had everything I needed, uh, but it was impossible to buy. Like, I tried to find it, and because it's from a Japanese distributor, I think it doesn't make it anymore. And then I found it on eBay as an import from Amazon, uh, from Japan. It was a bit expensive, but I bought it, and I know I have to wait like four weeks for it to arrive. Nice. I'm very looking forward to this. Yeah, I, I'm also weirdly like, if I have to wait long for something, I'm like, people are mostly like, ah, oh, I have to wait so long, and I'm like, I have something to look forward to for longer. Right. <laughs> yeah, that is fine. And um, I spent a lot of time researching, like looking into mechanical keyboards in my spare time in the last couple of weeks, and thankfully this is done now. So mm -hmm. the upside of buying for me is also that I'm stopping researching, hopefully. Right. So talking about putting a lot of time into things, um, there is a certain person uh, called Dave DeLong that is super, super, super into calendars, into time, into dates. Uh, and over the past, I think, two years, he's been working on a framework uh, called Chronology. Uh, and he's released it this weekend on a very special day, which is the 29th of February. Uh, and it's now been released as time. What is that all about, Benedict? Well, I mean, say you want to do a calendar calculation. 
obviously you would think, well, you can do it with, if you're a Objective-C programmer or a Swift programmer, you would say, well, I can do it with foundation um, because there's uh, NS calendar, for example, and there's NS date. And this should be sufficient for you to do calculations, right? You can, if you want to add something to a date, you just take maybe even a timestamp and then you, ju you just add um, seconds to it and then, then you're fine. And that's something some programmers might do uh, because many people think that time is really just that, a timestamp with a different representation that reads like a string. But time is much more complicated. There are a couple of famous blog posts, um, one being falsehoods programmers believe about time and time zones. And um, the other well-known one is falsehoods program programmers believe about time. And... I would just quote from some of those of things that, or you can you can also see here, things that programmers believe uh, that are properties of time that aren't properties of time. Yes. There's actually also a website by Dave DeLong uh, called Your Calendar Fallacies, which also hosts a list, a list of things that people take for granted or people think are true, but aren't true about time. You will find all of these in the show notes if you're ever interested in that. Um, I remember when I first heard about this, um, there are some of those lists are also fairly old. And I was back then I was a young PHP programmer. And back then I had done time calculations mostly by um, adding up timestamps um, because PHP doesn't really have many facilities or had didn't have many facilities back in those days. Um, that uh, I was amazed how wrong all of my code was based on based on what I saw here. Like, uh, not every day has 24 hours. Um, and not every day lasts 86,400 seconds, which is basically an assumption I always made in these days. But that's not the, the case because due to UTC offsets um, uh, and time zone changes, um, you can have a leap second, for example, and then you have a different amount of seconds. Or indeed, if the... Uh if you have the, the summer and winter time, you can have an hour extra, right? Where mm -hmm. like at 11 uh, p.m., for example, or tw uh, 2 a.m., I don't know when it mostly happens, can happen at any point technically, right? You go an hour back, which means you have an extra hour in the day. Yeah, and see here, there's another fallacy. You might think it's an hour, but um, it's not always an hour. Uh, like there were times when in some countries uh, for winter time or summer time, the um, clock was sent back two hours, 30 minutes. So... That I did not know. I know know that there are time zones that aren't just an hour ahead, but like half an hour ahead. No, so the um, this changes, and then the these rules for summertime and wintertime, um, they change every year. So there's for Ubuntu, for example, I think they have a file where the where it is recorded for the calendar, when is summertime and wintertime, where and so on, and, and what are how... Um, what is the difference between time zones? And last year, or in 2014, there were 10 changes to this list. Because over the year, countries decide, um, as a famous example, uh, Egypt decided a couple of years ago to do away with their um, wintertime or summertime, or they shifted their clock, I think. And so suddenly, like due to political movement and so on, your calendar has to do different calculations. So you also need, in addition to having the proper mass for the calendar, you also need a database with the proper information about it. Yes, I think Korea, if I remember correctly, is one of the countries that switched their time zones like seven times in the last like mm. years. Yeah. And as one of my, my favorite examples, and it's also in the show notes, there is uh, when you take Java and you try to construct a specific date, um, then you will get back a completely wrong output because as it happens, this specific date doesn't exist due to... Um, there's details due to a time zone change on the 31st December in Shanghai um, a certain date on 
in December 1927 doesn't even exist in the calendar. So if you create it, it's just wrong. It, it, it's not a, a valid date. Yeah, I think the same as uh, in, in like Eastern European countries. I don't know if it's specifically Japan, uh, but there the calendar year is dependent on the current ruler. So if the, the ruler dies, a new year starts. So it could be that, you know, their new year is today. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is that makes things super, super tricky. Yeah, and so writing a library for this is really, really tricky because there are so many rules and they spend a lot of time researching this and basically put this into a library that is type safe and allows you basically to do time calculations in a time safe manner that is hopefully always right. And instead of using um, foundation for time calculations, you, I think every, everybody would benefit from using Dave's library here. Yeah, I think, I think foundations is really good uh, and really powerful if you use it correctly. Um, but Dave's goes so much further. And I think it, it's a great API design uh, and definitely something to, to look into. And I know I'm still, I'm not sure if it's still in there, but I'm pretty sure uh, that it's in there where there's a definition for a second in his library. Because on Mars, a second doesn't take as long as a second on Earth. Mm, that's very smart. Which goes to say how, how far this goes. Mm -hmm. And maybe to, to end this segment, there's one more fantastic, fantastic, fantastic blog post uh, by Dave that I read at least once every year. And I won't spoil it, but at least I will spoil the ending, which has your move, Elon Musk. Okay, so I guess we will add it to the show notes. Oh, for sure. Okay. You sh it's a must read. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, that brings us to our next topic. And that is, did you hear the rumors that um, for the next upcoming Apple event, there is supposedly coming a keyboard, a new hardware keyboard for the iPad Pro that has a built-in touchpad? So I heard the rumor when you sent it to me yesterday. So I'm, I'm really not... And we've talked about this before in the podcast, like I'm not really looking for any new Apple hardware since I bought the iPhone 10 in 2018, 2017, 2017. So that's a while back. And I'm also really not like in the loop on like new hardware or new software mm -hmm. um, uh, rumors. Like from time to time, I see something pass by on Twitter, but I'm also not really following the people that share those things. So mm -hmm. this was completely new to me. I find it interesting um, because it would obviously mean, hopefully, that um, whatever new version of iOS is coming might have more support for pointing devices. Um, because right now you, we have the, the accessibility element where you can connect the mouse and then you get this not very beautiful looking, very huge pointer. Um, now, if Apple ships a, a touchpad with the iPad, I don't think the pointer will look like that anymore. I think the um, Apple wants it because then this would be the default mode for all iPad Pros with that new keyboard. So I suppose it will have a nicer experience. And so maybe even um, iPadOS this summer um, after DubDub will, will bring more enhancements. However, I also remember a couple of, a couple of years back, uh, there was a additional iOS release in March that had a lot of new features, especially I think iPadOS related yeah, features. So I, think, I think that's something that Apple has been doing uh, recently, right? Where they, or recently, like in the past few years, I think starting iOS 10, um, where at least the 0.3 release, like a later release in the year, is a really like bigger release with like really like major features. So I think for 10.3, uh, we had Night Shift, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Um, and that's been continuing in the subsequent releases. So yeah. And I think given that it's now like an accessibility option, it's it's in there, right? The tech is in there and Apple has been able to test it, has been able to refine it. So if at any point, like this would be probably the, the point where it makes sense to introduce a, a touchpad. Yeah. It um, also, it, it plays in an interesting way together with um, Catalyst, where in Catalyst you have a UI hover gesture recognizer that you can use to detect a hover with your mouse. Now, um, this doesn't work on iPad yet, but if there's a touchpad, I think a couple of things that Apple has specifically built for Catalyst might be backported back to the iPad because now that the iPad is gaining more of these features. And uh, for me, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I do have a separate Linux tablet that comes also with a keyboard and with a touchpad. Um, so it's, it's, it looks like a Surface, basically. And I'm using that for various things. But what I realized is I'm using the touchscreen and I'm using the touchpad in a, in a different way. And I, I, I can't describe it, but for scrolling, for example, I, I like to use the touchscreen. It, it's nice. It, it's easy. And it like, allows me to navigate. Similarly for um, for scrolling in a terminal, for example. But when, I'm do text, when I do text select, I prefer the touchpad. When I tap buttons, I prefer the touchscreen. It's different. So both of the apps and downs and uh, having the option is actually beneficial because um, the, the touchpad is good for a th certain amount of things, um, whereas the touchscreen is also good for a certain amount of things. And I think it would make everybody more productive on an iPad, which is, is something we all benefit from. Yeah, it's really nice. So again, talking about options, we have another topic that we want to talk about. And this is a library built by Nate Cook, who works at Apple. And you might have already heard of it by the time we release this. Uh, if not, it's the Swift Argument Parser. And it's a library that really uses the power of property wrappers and, and uses them to their full extent to make a super clean, really great API that helps you build command line tools with Swift. And I think it's already pretty much been verified that this is really the case because I think similar to when Vapor 3, if I remember correctly, was was uh, released, like there were some tools that like over the weekend afterwards already like implemented Vapor 3. And with uh, the Swift argument parser, I've seen multiple people, and that is only from the people that I know and follow on Twitter, uh, adopt this framework in their tools. And it's really, really nice. It's a really nice framework. Um, in a separate episode, a couple of years, maybe episodes back, um, we talked about a different library that was open source by, I forgot who wrote it, that was also for argument parsing in Swift. It was also fairly nice. Um, but property wrappers make the experience much nicer. And it is so good that it's part, that it is basically... Um, the library from Apple now. Um, where we well, can... not basically, it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is currently a separate library that you have to import with package managers. So I would guess at some point it might be part of the full distribution so that when you have Swift, you just have it because argument parsing is such an important thing. And um, the default is really not much. It's You get access to the array of arguments um, that, it's, that you use with the executable. Um, but it, it would be nice because as the first Swift project you start that is not a UI project, like for anybody who is interested in Swift and is not a iOS or macOS developer, might be a command line application. And it's great if you have that built in already. So given that this is from Apple, the chances that it will be built in are kind of high. So I'm hoping for that. Because it's really nice and it makes it much easier to create a, a very well-defined uh, 
interface to the command line with think, help I, and everything. I think that would be nice. I'm not sure if it's that necessary. Mm. Uh, already, like I said, like looking at the people that have all uh, have already like adopted it, but it would for sure be be something interesting for them to consider. Mm. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to using this. Um, uh, building building command line interfaces without that is oftentimes you do something simple and then you have to expand it somehow and then you have a terrible command line interface in the end. And this uses all these standards and conventions uh, that we know from other command line tools. So it's great. Uh, another thing that was released um, also a couple of days ago, right? I don't know specifically, but yeah, I think a couple of days ago was uh, Brisk, which is a um, uh, a scripting library by Paul Hudson. And this is incredible. Um, so if you've ever used Swift for scripting before, um, one issue it has is as soon as you want to do something with the command line or you want to create um, directories or you want to read files, it's always a lot of code because the code is written for app development. So you're using foundation. Some of the code um, requires a async um, closure to do something and then you have error handling and so on. But if you're, do, if you're writing a script, that's not what you want. You just want one line of code to create a directory, one line of code to iterate over the files, stuff like that. Um, and it's much more complicated with foundation. And uh, Paul went through the hassle of basically figuring out what are all the use cases that we need in a script and wrote simple functions that ignore errors, they crash on error, and that just give you back what you need with one invocation so that a Swift script looks much more like a Python script or like a Ruby script or like a Bash script. It's not a lot of lines of code and you focus on the script instead of the, the API because it's a script. It might be a throwaway thing. Uh, it's not something you're going to release on the App Store. Um, and this is something uh, that you released. It's a Swift package manager library that gives you all this functionality and I love it. It's actually pretty cool. Uh, I, like Paul has been working on a bunch of these kind of frameworks and, and tooling, uh, which he's been released releasing uh, in February, which is really nice to see. And I think Brisk is, is definitely a good example of it. Uh, and it's wonderful. It's, it started, I think, with a, a Twitter thread where Paul was asking like, hey, what do people, do people use Swift for mm -hmm. these kind of uh, tasks? And many people said no, right? And, and I think even Paul said, I've been using Ruby or I've been using Python, or I think those are the most, uh, seem to be the most popular. And now we, we can do it with Swift, right? And like we just mentioned about the Swift argument parser, like if you're writing a script, probably you're using the terminal to execute it. And now you can even, in some cases, uh, wrap that with the uh, argument parser. So I think it's a, it's a great coincidence that these have been released uh, close to each other. And I think they, they can be very useful for people that maybe don't have as much experience with Ruby or Python, for example, but still want to start mm. writing uh, these kind of things in a way that is nice for such a terminal script rather than indeed what you were mentioning with closures, with error handling, that makes it tricky. And it's not just terminal scripts. Um, just yesterday, I had to add a run script phase to my Xcode project to do something. And obviously, I did it in Bash. Um, <laughs> right. I'm not the biggest fan of it. Um, uh, but that's usually how I do it. Also, it was copy-paste code from, from something I embedded into the project. Um, so I would just use what the website said. But oftentimes, you have a run, file, a run script where you need to do something in Xcode. And it's nice to be able to use Swift there. Uh, because then you have one sane language across your project. And I think especially with Bash, that's a great example where it's like, 
I I don't know how to write Dash. Like <laughs> I would need something else, and then like Swift or Ruby or Python would be would be nice. Well, I was I write Dash with Google. It's basically like for every line, it's like what do I want to do? Let's Google how you how to do it, and then you you go advance line by line. Sure, but like <laughs> if if I can think about things that are fun to do, that would probably not be at the very top of the list. You could write something that takes in a Swift script and converts it to Bash. <laughs> I'm I'm speechless. <laughs> the Swift to Bash compiler, bye bye. Oh God. <laughs> so another topic, Swift of Arrow. Mm. So Swift of Arrow, for those of you that don't know, is a workshop conference held in Aveiro in Portugal. Uh, at the end of June this year. And I am co-organizing it for the first time this year. I think we've also already discussed that. And we've been ramping up, right? So, you know, June is coming closer bit by bit. Um, we have all the mentors contacted. Uh, so we have the full schedule, basically. And we've started selling tickets. And it's a bit crazy, right? So we announced the ticket sale a bit in advance, and then the tickets went on sale at midnight GMT uh, on Thursday last week, which was somewhere at the end of February. Um, in one minute, all the super early birds were gone. That's fast. At midnight. That's fast. Nice. Congratulations. Crazy. So that's been super, super motivating. Uh, and by now uh, that we're recording this, uh, and even even before this weekend, uh, so at the end of, of February, we've sold all tickets except the very late bird tickets and the diversity tickets, which is something super cool as well that I uh, that I'm very excited mm -hmm. that we're able to do that this year. So, wow. So I don't need to advertise this at all and tell the listeners how great this conference is and how nice the, the place is, Avero, and uh, how fun it is to go there and how much you learn because of the workshops. Like, I, don't, I don't need to tell them any of that, right? Because that's basically already sold out. Well, sure, but you should still tell them that. <laughs> and Benedict's very much correct here. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it's not for nothing that I'm helping organize this conference. Uh, and honestly, and... I think by the time this episode goes out, if we're able to announce some more mentors that I'm super, super excited about, there might not be any tickets left. <laughs> okay, so people, you heard him. If, if you are still considering going there, this is uh, your turn now. Yes, and otherwise, you know, there, there hopefully is going to be a next edition. So and the next edition. There is always next time. Yeah, always a next step. So I've been to Copenhagen a while back, and I think we've talked about this in the last episode, um, where I visited uh, Marina and Tobias, uh, two people that I got to know uh, last year at conferences, and it's been a lot of fun. But I didn't just meet those people, I also met a colleague or an old colleague of Marina called Ole, and Ole has built an app to store codes, so imagine that you store uh, the code for a credit card there, and then you can access that uh, securely uh, using uh, the iPhone authentication, so Face ID, Touch ID, etc. Uh, and it uses this nice patterns and, and uh, really nice UI to show you that. And 
so we had dinner in Copenhagen just to make a step back. Um, and he was talking about the project and he said that he'd localized it in like seven languages already with the help of others. And I was like, that's crazy. And then the second thing I thought was like, is one of them Dutch? And it wasn't. Uh, so this, this past weekend, uh, I've been like helping him localize it to Dutch, which has been a quite interesting experience because if you think about it, it's like, I think there's like a hundred phrases and it's like, oh, that's going to be easy, right? Like it's all short. It's like, I know English, I know Dutch, but if you look at this, you know, knowing the context, etc., it's still pretty difficult because it's like this one word, like in this context, what would it best translate to? And then it actually turns out that like on the spot, thinking of like, okay, this word in English, what is it in Dutch? It's not easy, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I looked up a, a lot of these mm -hmm. words and it's like, oh yeah, of course that's what it means in mm -hmm. Dutch. But it's like on the spot, it's pretty difficult, mm -hmm. which made me basically realize it's like, hey, localization and like the, the copywriters, et cetera, what they do, it's really a skill you have mm -hmm. to, you have to learn. So that was, that's, that was a lot of fun. It's also sometimes tricky because you don't know if the expression you come up with does still fit the UI. I mean, obviously, the developer has to kind of care for that. Uh, but sometimes there's just no space for that. It's not always easy to, to, to find a solution there where can you reduce the amount of text? As German is particularly known for having very long phrases and everything is very long. And so if, you, if people translate to German, sometimes like it's like two letters in English and in German it's like five words. And then how do you, <laughs> how do you accommodate for that? I think this is a perfect example also of why the context is so important and mm. why you should not wrap your NS localized string to hide the comment because mm. you really want to add that if you can, especially if you have external people that localize your content. Mm. Um, as an interesting note here, um, for a time back, back when I was uh, still self-employed a couple of years ago, I was the maintainer of a um, localization software for a localization company from Hamburg. And the original software was written by Max Seelemann of Ulysses. Ah. Um, and uh, then I, afterwards, maintained it. And it had one really beautiful feature that at some point didn't work anymore because Apple's stack moved on. Um, but back then, you had zip files. And in zip files, you had you modeled your UI. And what this software did was you would have your localizations, and with one button, it would just open the zip file and insert the translations. And you could just could just click through and see how the different languages looked in the actual UI without compiling the app, without starting the app somewhere. It would just take the zip file and run it. Now that was for Mac apps, obviously, um, but it was a really nice feature. It helped nice. a lot to to quickly see, okay, does this all make sense? And this software was also made so to to use for the localizers. So as a localizer, you would use this software and you could immediately see what the UI looked like because you would also get the zip files. That's cool. Hmm? And what you mentioned also with the longer terms or, or like longer words, uh, that was cool as well because I, if I remember correctly, he uses PO Editor hmm? um, and it basically makes the text read is like, hey, you know, you're hmm? this text is going to be a lot longer than the original one. Hmm? Keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah. The This localization suit um, also had a lot of features like that where um, you get information like that and then there are standard localizations built in and so on too because it's a tool like a craftman tool for a localiz localizer. So obviously you want a lot of features because you're not just translating one app, you're translating hundreds. And for that, you want a tool that helps you with not just one, but hundreds of apps. So it's an impressive tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, one word that I uh, 
wasn't able to translate and still not really uh, is dismiss. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like I've looked at all the 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 things that it like literally translates to in Dutch. Mm-hmm. It, it they don't make sense. Yeah. They don't make sense in context. So I'm actually like I'm wanting to figure out if Apple has like a dismiss somewhere mm. that they have also localized to Dutch because mm. I I don't know what it should be. It, so if there are any Dutch listeners, think about dismiss and what that should be called in Dutch if in a context of dismissing a view controller, right? There are actually a couple of words like that because they gained in English a new meaning that they haven't gained in a different language. To like is another one. Like when you like something on Instagram, imagine how you would translate that. Like any way you tra- translate that sounds a bit weird. Because by now, it's not about the, the physical, emotional liking anymore. It's really about the process of tapping a button in English. But there's, it, it's tricky to find a word in a different language. I would say that that example in Dutch is pretty like well accepted at this point. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I agree with you. Like It still feels a bit weird. Mm, okay. Ah, localization. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, wouldn't it be easier if we all spoke one language? Uh-huh. <laughs> Maybe, but, you know, it's advantages and disadvantages. That would make some things easier and probably some things, well, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, it would probably be easier. It, it's not for lack of trying, right? There's Esperanto and there's a couple of other languages that people, synthetic languages that people came up with and said, okay, this is the language that we will all speak from now on. I'm thinking about a certain XKCD. Are you taking up thinking about the mm-hmm. same one? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I wanted to share one more thing. Yes. And uh, I'm super excited that I can finally talk about this. I will be moving to Barcelona. Congratulations, Bas. Did you say Barcelona or Barcelona? I'm not sure. Again, I'm speechless. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I I think we will go a lot further into this in in a future episode. I think uh, we have a bunch to talk about regarding that. Um, long story short, I will stay at the company. I will stay in the team. So I'm still going to be making fun, uh, with Benedict. We will still continue to podcast, etc. Um, but now from a much more sunnier side of the, uh, European, uh, union. Well, yeah, I guess yeah. so. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's obviously some more interesting things uh, and reasons why I moved there. Uh, but we'll keep that for, for something that is upcoming. I'm really happy for you. And um, yeah, I think this is going to be cool. And so that also means our uh, podcast will not be we are sitting next to each other anymore or rarely because it might still be that you're here for a time or I'm there because we are still at the same company. Um, but that will probably change the format a bit. But I'm very much looking forward to it. So with the fact that we're still continuing the podcast but I will be somewhere else, that also means that we can't say good morning in person anymore. True. And that also means that we should have a way to make sure that we have good audio quality in both locations. Mm-hmm. That's also true. Which means that this microphone that is standing in front of us is now yours. What? Really? Yes. I, I don't know what to say. No, I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing. Wow. Buzz, thank you. That's, I'm speechless. Yes. That's cool. So now I have to go hunt for something else. Um, but I thought that would be something nice to do. Yeah, that's really nice. So 
also for the listeners, so that they have good audio quality. But there you go. Okay, you can't see my face right now, but it's uh, the speechless Benedict face. You don't see that very often. Thank you. All right. Okay, well, that was an interesting episode. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so there's actually even one more thing. Uh, I guess it's a bit less exciting, but Benedict loves chocolate, right? Yeah, right. Sweets in general, but chocolate in particular. And I like chocolate as well. I like baking things. I like cooking things. We've talked about that before. What I like a lot about it is that I can share it with others. And there is a chocolate brand. It's called Tony Choco Lonely. And it started in the Netherlands. And I think they're now mostly in the Netherlands, but also in Belgium. And like they've spread around the globe, right? So the, the chocolate is becoming available in more and more countries. And what they do is twofold. First of all, they have crazy, crazy combinations of flavors. Uh, and second of all, they really fight for a slave-free, uh, slave-free chocolate. And that's even visible in how they divide their chocolate, right? Normally in a bar, you have like even blocks of chocolate. And here, to represent how unfair the whole trade is, they also have a random allocation of chocolate pieces. And I've brought one today again. Um, and I wanted to do a bit of a taste test. So this one is curcuma and chai cocos. 28% white chocolate. Oh, this sounds really good. Uh, <laughs> I will actually take a picture that. now. Ooh. We can put it into the show notes. Look at that. That's not what I was expecting. That's not what I was expecting as a color. No, that's definitely not. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's try this. Thank you. There you go. Mmm. 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 Oh, this is really good. It's... I don't know what it reminds me of, but... It's doable. I was I was hesitant about this one because it's, like, really out of this world. Mm. Uh, I mean, last week or two weeks ago, I think we had one with thyme, uh, which is also mm. really interesting. Mm. Um, this I wasn't so sure about, but yeah. Mm. It's all things I really like in there. <laughs> all right. And I guess with that, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs> to us eating. And we will hear you again next time. <laughs>